Welcome to Bollywood is for Lovers, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Aaron Fraser. And I'm Ed Bose. In this, our 100th episode. 100! We're discussing the mother of all movies, Mehboob Khan's 1957 epic, Mother India. Will Matt save me from a fire by the end of this episode, or will I save him? Probably not, but there's sure to be a lot of drama. Maybe? Before? I don't know what I'm doing with these introductions, Matt. <laughs> Before we begin, it's, uh, it's the 100 syndrome. We're starting to go a little bit kooky. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we begin, we'd like to respectfully acknowledge that we record this podcast on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. Uh, we'll also give a bit of a disclaimer uh, that there is an important plot point in this film that involves an attempted sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, don't I don't know think... how much we're going to go into it. But... Yeah, but I don't think we can get around it. It's a rather important plot point. Many people have seen Mother India before. We still want to put that out there. Matt, this is our 100th episode. I think it's like 117 or something in reality, but I, this yeah. is the official 100. This is the official 100th episode because we've released, uh, I guess, about close to 20 supplemental or and slash Netflix and Dill episodes. Mm-hmm. And we don't consider those official episodes. They're non-canonical. Exactly. You don't have to listen to them if you want to get the whole story. Yeah, no, you this... do have to listen to all the other ones, though. <laughs> but this is the official 100th episode. How do you feel about that? Good. I mean, I have a headache right now from being outside in the sun too much, but it's kind of exciting. Yeah. 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 I, I'm, I apologize we don't have more to <laughs> celebrate. I mean... We're going through the same shit as you guys, folks. We're stuck <laughs> indoors all day long. I went outside for an hour and a half walk and got a headache. So Yeah. Uh, we do really want to thank a lot of people, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Alberta Podcast Network, uh, headed up by Karen Unland, as well as Audio Boom, our platform, both of which have supported us quite a bit mm-hmm. and help us grow our audience and just develop uh, a quality, we hope, <laughs> podcast over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to thank all of the guests who have come on. Uh, it's and a time commitment. Yeah, it, re- it really is. You know, you have to, to watch a bunch of movies and then like put, like carve out some time in your calendar to talk with us. Sometimes, you know, if they're local, they have to make their way over here. You know, mm-hmm. they, you know, so we really appreciate all of the guests who have lent their time and their expertise to come on and correct us about Bollywood or have us introduce them to Bollywood. It's gone both ways. And also the people who leave reviews. Yes. They're the real heroes. who's left a review, everyone who, you know, has reached out to us on Facebook or Twitter, and just everyone who's listened to the show for this past 100 plus episodes. I think we're we are very grateful that you know mm-hmm. we have not succumbed to pod fade and nope. and that's largely because people are listening. I think if this was just you and I, we we maybe we would have succumbed to pod fade. We could have pod faded, yeah. I don't know, Matt. What's your what's your opinion on pod fade? I don't think it's real. <laughs> I think it was just it's that one New Yorker story, New York Times. I, I think I think having made it to a hundred plus episodes, like we proves lo- that we beat yeah. the odds. We, we can lord it over everybody now too. Yeah, so like oh, does your podcast have a hundred episodes? Because mine does. Because trash art, can trash art in the movies lord over you then? Three times as much. <laughs> My other podcast has more than three hundred episodes. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we should we should thank Paul who. 
Uh, so Paul Matwichuk, my co-host with Trash Art in the Movies. He invented podcasting. He really did. He, uh, I never would have gotten into podcasting if it weren't for him. He mm-hmm. messaged me out of the blue. We'd never really met in person, and I didn't even really know that he was that engaged with what I was doing on social media. And, and he messaged me because he, he was looking for a co-host and you know wanted, wanted someone who he thought would balance him and so i think you know was interested in in <laughs> my young female perspective your mind <laughs> and 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 yeah we've we've been podcasting he and i for oh, like nine years now mm-hmm. and and that was you know the, the first I, i'd never really thought about podcasting before then uh and then you know because of that you and I both now have a very strong relationship with Paul, and, and then you got into podcasting. And I also worked with him for four years. <laughs> yeah. Quincy, yeah. Uh, like, totally separate, separate yeah. from... That was a funny week, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think also his influence is part of the reason why you got into podcasting. Yeah. And, and here we are. Uh, you know, I'm busy doing two shows, and I don't think, I don't think if Paul had sent that email that we'd be doing this. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's the real hero at the center of Biffle. Hopefully he listens and, you know, hears this. <laughs> I'll tell him too. Yeah. Uh, we have one question left. We also have to thank those question askers from last week. Yeah. And thank you to everyone who um, stuck Indulged us. <laughs> with the Q&A episode. It ended up being a lot longer than I think I was expecting. But we, you know, we really wanted to give full answers so and by the end answer, there, I was exhausted. We also wanted to answer everyone's question. Wanted to answer everyone's question. Uh, I thought the episode was going to do terribly, but the response has been very strong. So People we like hearing that. their name on a podcast. <laughs> Even though we didn't pronounce all of them correctly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's par for it's the Part course. of our charm. Um, but we did have one question come in late. Um, Which I solicited. He just got it in late. Yeah, and AJ AJ knows it's late, but I, mm-hmm. I told him that we'd answer it. So what's this question, Matt? AJ, someone I know through my work, says... At AJ Devlin on Twitter, right? It's just his name? I think so, yeah. Yeah. My apologies for not getting this to you before your most recent recording. I'm curious, and it's not a Bollywood question, but what is it about Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, written by my late mentor and friend and his wife and brother that you guys like? A great movie. So mm-hmm. that would be... Leonard Schrader, Paul Schrader, and Leonard Schrader's wife, who I don't remember off the top Chico. of my head. Yeah. Chaco Schrader. Yeah, Chaco Schrader. Um, Mishima, like four chapters. So Mishima is a really interesting author. Uh, his. We should point out, we watched the film for my other podcast, Treasure in the Movies. Yeah, and I think I bought it at the store when you could go to the store. Remember the store? I got I got it there for cheap one time. Uh, Mishima, Yukio Mishima is a really interesting author. He's a Japanese guy who was kind of like a Japanese nationalist revanchist type guy. Like he didn't think that the Japanese did anything wrong during the war and that they should revamp the army and like the samurai class should be in charge and all this stuff. And he actually... Unlike most authors who were contented to, you know, write their theories and sit at home, he actually tried to pull off a coup to take over <laughs> the government. And when that didn't work, he, like, committed Harry Carey. <laughs> so, like, say what Sorry, you will Sorry, as Varun would say it, a coup. Yeah, a coup. Uh, but say what you will That's about a the guy. Coffee with Koran callback. Say what, say what you will about the guy. I mean, he's probably a fascist. He's 
He's not a great person, the no. author. AJ's good. But um, he did put his money where his mouth is. And I, I, I don't necessarily think that the Schraders have... Like b- buy into his no, I don't think they do either. Radicalism, but either. they found an author whose real life story was more interesting than his books. Yeah, and the film is done in such a way; it's a bit the easiest thing to compare it to is American Splendor, though not really like American Splendor, but it is similar to American Splendor in the sense that it shows both the kind of biography of the subject matter as well as examples of their work now with american splendor picar's work was also his biography yeah um but mishma you kind of have the biography which is also jumping around in time yeah it's the day of the coup attempt and early on when he's a kid and and then also scenes of of his work of stories that he wrote that are that are dramatized and those dramatizations are probably some of the most like avant-garde sorts of ways of trying to depict stories from a book as you could do. Mm-hmm. They're very, like, almost stage-bound. Like, it pulls out, and you could see, like, a whole room sometimes, and it's done in garish pink. Mm-hmm. You can see all the characters moving around. It's just really fascinating They're to look at. very theatrical, too. Yeah, and it's one of the few times a book, no, a movie about how good someone is writing at books actually shows it apart from, like, someone reading the book and saying, like, oh, this is a good book. It mm-hmm. actually tries to use film techniques, oddly enough, <laughs> crazy, can you imagine using film techniques in a movie to make, it might not be the most direct adaptation of the stories, I don't know, I haven't read much Mishima, but it gets you into a completely different mindset than what the like the parts of his life are. Yeah. Because it's delving into sadomasochism and... Um, it's quite the watch. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a real extreme... I mean, not too extreme, but it's, it's an interesting film. Like, super devotion yeah. to religion and... Oh, another... A coup attempt, right. <laughs> the, last, <laughs> the last one's about a coup attempt. So, but it, it depicts these in such a way that it makes you want to read the books, but it also isn't like... It doesn't succumb to Mr. Holland's Opus Syndrome, mm-hmm. where... When you actually see the artistic work that's being made, you're like, yeah, that's okay. Like, it's, if it was a real Mr. Holland's opus, it would have been, like, composed by somebody. Like, the the composer for the movie would have won a Grammy for composing an amazing opus, rather than, like, yeah, this is passable movie stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Mishima, the stories are really interesting, but they're shot in such a way that it's a movie, and it's not just a depiction of, you know, what's happened in a book. Yeah, and it's a really, like, it's such a deft balancing act to pull this all off and I think what we really like about it is that it kind of encompasses um, a lot of things in art that we gravitate towards and so you know we're interested in Japanese culture we are interested in 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 film and film technique and And books and books but also like non-linear narratives Um, and 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 Schrader Schrader's work, both of the Schraders, obviously. Um, well, all three of them here, but you know, I'm, I'm most familiar with Paul Schrader and and stuff that Leonard Schrader has written. Uh, they they kind of have one foot often in high art and one in low art, mm-hmm. um, and so and there's just something very provocative and nihilistic about a lot of their work that I find fascinating. And I think I think Chaco Schrader really gives that story such a strong 
um, you know, because you have you have Americans making a Japanese film, and so she is about a guy who is extremely Japanese yeah. and almost incomprehensible if you're not Japanese. Yeah, and so I think it's very important. Her contributions are, are extremely important. She, they must she, have been because it made the movie work. Exactly. I think you know you need someone Japanese who can really make that work. Uh, yeah. It's a great movie. This has nothing to do with Bollywood, but nothing to do with Mother India. Especially. <laughs> we appreciate AJ's question the, the, the because thing that we AJ, really do love this movie. The thing that AJ wants to hear as well is that the screenplay is definitely written and shoots between different times and the <laughs> the stories really well. Yeah. So I think. He, he's a screenwriter, so mm-hmm. that's what he wanted to kind of get me to say. So you're yeah. welcome, AJ. It's very good. Thank you, AJ. Uh, and I guess to finish out the kind of Q&A celebration of our 100th episode, you have a question and I have a question. We thought we would ask each other Without questions. telling each other. Yes. Okay, so my question is, which episode do you think is our best one? <sighs> okay. We could pause. No, no, no. Um, no. You also have to answer this question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I need to pull my phone up there to look at the list. Okay. I think I'm most proud of the the noir stuff we've done. I like the noir Vember episodes the most. I think the first one is my favorite with Neil Barnholden. Uh, Neil, you got to come back. We miss you. Mm -hmm. He had a kid. He's busy. Yeah. I think we just had such a good time discussing those films and kind of going back to, you know, that kind of, were they 1960s? Yeah, that 1960s. 50s, I think, yeah. Era, yeah. black and white, and just kind of digging into this, seeing how this noir aesthetic played out in in India at the time. And then, you know, I've, I've enjoyed returning to this kind of theme of noir mm-hmm. every November. So those are the episodes I'm most proud of. And I think specifically that first noir of Ember episode, I, I think of it, Fondly, and and maybe it's because noir is something I feel very confident in discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, that I felt I really, you know, got my point across. Although I remember hearing someone on another podcast recommend our show and say that I had that we had uh, explained a lot about the film noir genre, and I was horrified, Matt. It's not a genre <laughs> because. Film noir is not a genre, and it I never would have said that. And I had to listen to it over again to make sure that I never said that. I think, <laughs> for those of you who don't want to get into this super nitpicky argument... Oh, I love nitpicky. Sin City is what happens when noir is a genre. Mm. Because noir doesn't really have a lot of narrative tropes. It has like kind of characters that it can refer to a lot. It's but, an aesthetic. Yeah. But it's, it's a visual aesthetic mostly and kind of mixed with hard-boiled story writing. But Sin City is trying to distill it into being its own genre. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm very proud of that specific episode. And then I think um, the the ones that we've done return to it, they have not certainly not been our most popular episodes. People mm-hmm. do not want to geek out as much about noir as I do. Yeah. But among my favorites. Uh, I have a few favorites. I think our video game episode with Ben Jelly and I uh, was really fun. That was super fun. I yeah. love Ben. Uh, our uh, review of a board game, Gandhi. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also thought we did a good job on... Let me pull it up here. The Ramsey Brothers episode. I was mm-hmm. pretty fond of that one. I think you quite like our horror series. Well, I mean, I just wish there was better movies. But <laughs> it is fun to talk about horror. Yeah. And I thought our episode with Sal Salam on uh, Rekka. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. I think, Those are some of my faves. I think, unfortunately, we had some behind-the-scenes 
audio issues with Sal that we weren't aware of till we went to edit, um, which is... Oh, there's a lot more work to fix, but I think it sounds okay. Yeah. All the more reason to to invite Sal back. We're Uh, doing it right this time. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, that was... I I loved that episode That was a good one. I also... I love anytime... Those movies are just super fun, too. I love anytime we get to talk to Manish, too. Yeah. The Prince of Hearts. Yes. Yeah. So, what's your question? Uh, I guess... Matt, I'm curious, is there anything you wish you had known when we were starting up this podcast that you might have done differently in hindsight, now that we've done 100 plus episodes? I wish I would have known the Hindi language. That would have made (laughs) a lot of things much easier for me. Uh, But, um, hmm. I mean, I, I think our editing is okay and our sound quality is okay. And I've made it a little bit better over the years, but I don't really know too much about how we could make it sound even better. Like, probably filming not in a kitchen that's got... (laughs) Filming, recording. Recording in a kitchen that's got, like, nine-foot ceilings and, (laughs) like, we're not exactly set up for great audio here, but there's probably ways to get around that. Yeah. But, yeah, just learning the process of editing and making a podcast that way... I wish I'd known a little bit more about it. I did a little bit with my old show, but mm-hmm. you know, it's been it's been an experience learning how to do that. Yeah, and again, sometimes we didn't know that there were audio issues mm-hmm. with files until we went to edit them, and by then, it is what it is. We we, we still released those. Yeah. Um, so. You know. Well, what's your, what's yours? <laughs> uh, I I think, you know, we did a bunch of research early on to kind of both make sure we were talking from a place of some of of having somewhat some knowledge but we didn't want to you know know everything because part of the process of the podcast was to fall in love with Bollywood ourselves was to explore this film industry that we didn't have that much exposure to and so I think you know I may I think it was a bit naive in the beginning and I made some assumptions based on kind of that six months of research and films that I'd seen up until that point like Mother India yeah that in hindsight I kind of think are embarrassing like I so think, you, you don't like that our first episode is one of our highest downloads <laughs> I really don't because I, I think, think we should go back and re-record it sometime I think there I you know, I, I still think there's some good stuff there, but I think there, the, you know, there's some assumptions that we made that now that we've been watching Bollywood movies for longer and we have more familiar. Actually, Kumar, good. Yeah, or I think I even said like that I thought John Abraham was kind of arty because everything I'd seen him up until that point, he was kind of arty, and now I'm I like, mean, no smoking. What was I thinking? Well, no, I mean he did Madras Cafe. He did a few sort of. Indie, maybe not indie, but, but again, like, I was yeah. making, I was making assumptions about certain actors based on seeing them. Say what you will about no smoking, I don't know if another actor would have carried it. Like, yeah. you kind of need a kind of bland big guy to carry that story along. I'm just saying that I, I, I made some assumptions about the industry. Yeah, yeah. And me too. And about actors that, in hindsight, were naive. Hindsight's twenty twenty though. And no one was expecting you to go in knowing everything <laughs> because you would just sound like a textbook. Yeah, and, and people like that word "dumb," <laughs> especially me. Especially, and and so I guess maybe again, like we could have presented it a bit more as you know, sure, experiential, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I th- I do think we did a lot of research, um, yeah. and I still think that research set us up. 
But I think maybe I was, again, like, I was really certain in some of my assumptions that turned out to be assumptions. And I less. think that apart from, let's say, the J.D. Amato blank check episodes, <laughs> like, the way that we bring up film studies knowledge, especially you, is pretty unique for podcasts. Yeah, people seem to think that, like, you're not a professor or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where people get that from. You have a, you have a bachelor's degree in film studies. Well, yeah, and it's, I mean, many people have, like, a bachelor's degree in film studies. I don't think that makes me, or, like, took some film studies courses They don't all university. have podcasts, though. Yes, they don't all have podcasts, and, but I think... It does set us apart. I, yeah, and I think I, that informed, that experience informed the way that I talk and think about film, but I... Do you know what did my, it for me? My goal is to have, like, a critical lens towards yeah. film, but I'm never trying to be academic. Do you know what did it for not me, that, though? Not that that, um, not that whenever anyone says that, that I take it as an insult or negatively. I, I, I'm generally yeah. flattered, and I think, I, I, I just don't think that highly of myself. So there's a film writer named Matt Zoller Seitz, you know him. Mm-hmm. He was doing Mad Men recaps, and he wrote a book about The Sopranos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Big American TV guy. But I remember him tweeting something one time that said, um, if you're a film reviewer, you actually have to review the film Mm -hmm. and the way it's made. Because if you're just talking about how good the story is, you might as well just be like a book reviewer. And if you're just talking about how good the acting is, you might as well be a theater reviewer. The thing that makes film different is that it has a whole language outside of the action that's happening. Yeah. And you have to talk about that. Otherwise, you're not really reviewing the movie. Yeah, and I actually worry sometimes that we spend too much time focusing on kind of um, well, we're gonna, the narrative. We're going to do some uh, yeah. constructivism, some looking it at It helps that we watch this film in university. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I worry sometimes that we spend too much time talking about narrative and actors, which, yes, is performance, and less about film language. But it, it's hard because not every movie gives you stuff to talk about in that respect. So this film really does. Well, yeah, some movies just have a sort of off-the-rack aesthetic. Yeah. Karen Johar movies, for instance, they all kind of look the same. Well, but, you he's, know... He's got it down to a science, He but, really loves that swirling camera. Yeah, he's got it down to a science, but it's, you know, telling the difference between them film filmically, it's not that easy. Are you glad we picked Bollywood? Yes. As opposed to something else? Yeah, I mean, I think... Because we've always been coming at this as outsiders, as Mm -hmm. cinephiles, as as white Canadian cinephiles Mm -hmm. who are interested in all kinds of film and not exclusively Bollywood. But, you know, and, and we... I think we really liked Bollywood when we started this and we put love in the title... But I think by doing the podcast, we really fell in love with Bollywood. Yeah, I mean, cynically, we kind of, when we were looking at it, we thought this this film industry has distribution all over the world and is relatively under-discussed in English language critical media. Mm -hmm. So it felt like an opportunity. We could, you know, explore and learn all this stuff in kind of a playground that wasn't really being looked at as much. And there's more podcasts now, and podcasts in Hindi. That's especially mm-hmm. coming along. It's nice It's nice to see. But I think had we picked another film industry, we would have either kind of not had as much access. I mean, it's hard for us to access old Bollywood movies, as we'll mm-hmm. hear in a minute. But, like, 
if we did a podcast on Korean movies or something, I think it's a lot more well well worn terrain. More people are doing it. Yeah. And it's also not as easy to get the popular stuff. Like we can get Parasite or, you know, the age the World War Two one, whatever that was called. The Age, age of, of Shadows. Uh, age of Shadows. Oh, Age right. Age, age of Shadows is, is Scorsese. Scorsese. Like we can get that sort of stuff here in Canada. Age of Innocence is Scorsese. Age of Shadows is Kim Ki No, not Kim Ki Duck. Um Kim Ji Woon. Yeah. Like that sort of stuff plays here. I think. <laughs> we could we could make a note. Uh, that that sort of stuff plays here, but we would really have to do a lot of digging to get to, you know, what's an actual popular Korean movie. Yeah, well, my sassy girl. Yes, but like the fact that day and date here, we can go see what's opening in India and yeah. have that experience as alongside everyone else. I mean, we don't have that much access for other film cultures here. Yeah, and I think we also were aware that um, for some for some industries and, and and film cultures, there are really established Western fan bases. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fan bases you know, people engage with these films who are not from those cultures, mm -hmm. you know. So we see that with, like, Hong Kong action films, Korean thrillers and horror movies, Japanese anime as well as Japanese horror and thrillers, mm -hmm. uh, even, you know, on a more academic side, Iranian cinema. French, French New Wave. We could have yeah. easily done a French New Wave podcast, but what would we even be saying? <laughs> yeah, whereas Bollywood is, it's global, it's playing everywhere around the world, but where we are, it's mostly playing to the diaspora. Yeah. And, but it has English subtitles, and I think for us, we thought, this is exciting. Like, it is exciting that, yeah, when a film, when a big Bollywood film, when Dangal releases in India... Padmavat. Padmavat. It's also releasing on the other side of the world. For the most part. For the most part. Yeah. And... You know, that that was really exciting to us that there was this huge film culture with these really exciting and engaging movies that we thought had a lot of value and that people kind of outside of the diaspora didn't have access to. And didn't I think for us, yeah. you know, our journey into Bollywood was a bit about, I mean, at first the podcast really was to promote Bollywood to people who... We're like us, non-Desi. But then we found out that uh, <laughs> Indian people are much more interested in listening to us. <laughs> but we've also, um, you know... We've introduced seen, people to it. Yeah, we've introduced a lot of people to it. And we've also seen a lot of people like us uh, who are not South Asian fall in love with the industry as well. and it's, Or become more vocal about their love. Yes, and it's very exciting that, that online... You know, there's that Bollywood fandom is growing. That there, mm -hmm. there's a there's a community. You know, there's Bollywood Twitter now, and it's mm -hmm. you know you see a mix. It's a scary place. <laughs> it's a scary place. I think our corner of Bollywood Twitter is really nice, and yeah. it is a good mix of both South Asians and non-South Asians. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're really grateful for that. And you know, we really appreciate that community and how open and welcoming it is. And a big Shout out to Sam at Lipstick Patrol, mm -hmm. who I think is always willing to provide some insight and correct us. I was going to say, call us on our shit. Yeah. <laughs> In a really, um, a really helpful way because she knows we care and 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 she 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 cares. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, 
Uh, and, and I always really appreciate that. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough about us gassing on ourselves. Yeah. Let's talk Mother India. All right. All right. We'll get into Mother India. Yeah. Uh, so Mother India was the very first Bollywood film you ever saw. Yep. Tell me about it. I saw it in Jerry White's introduction to cinema class. Mm -hmm. It was 201. Yeah, this was the um, six-credit full-year survey course on the history of film. I think it was pretty late on in the year, too. Yeah. Because they, they kind of go like Lumiere Brothers, then silent movies, German Expressionism, classic Hollywood, and then sort of world after that. Mm-hmm. That was, that's how they did it 10 years ago when I took the course. Yeah. But... I don't even know if the course still exists. It, isn't there like a 100 level now? Yes. Yeah, because when I was finishing up, they were re, redesigning the film studies program. I remember being annoyed because when I got to my first day of university, I thought like, oh, you know, film studies, I like movies. I should watch this. I have to wait a whole year? Okay. But it, it, <laughs> it wasn't even your major. It was my major and I had to wait a whole year. Yeah, but it, it was kind of like... I don't know, you need a critical background in something else to get into it, I'm guessing, is what they thought. You had to have English. They, yeah. they wanted to know you could write an essay. Yeah, so that's kind of the idea. And um, I went talking to one of our friends about this, uh, Mike. Uh, I also liked how Jerry showed, and she handled day one, <laughs> to show people that, like, <laughs> you know, this isn't just going to be sitting around watching Scorsese movies and high-fiving. Like, this is actually going to be difficult, because you're going to be interacting with things that don't make any sense to you. And... That sort of unsettling right at the beginning of my trying to learn more about movies academically, I think was really smart because I try not to go into things thinking that I know anything about them. I, I try to be an open, a blank slate. Anyway, Bollywood comes later in the year, and I believe the only movie we watch is Mother India. And this is mostly because you can easily point to some other film movements, I think, when watching this movie. We'll get into that. Also because it's a huge deal. Yeah, it's also often considered the Gone with the Wind of India. Yeah. But, like, not racist. So we didn't... I never watched Gone with the Wind in university. No, we watched Birth of a Nation. We 100% watched Birth of a Nation. Which I do not think they would show <laughs> these days. They probably wouldn't show Triumph of the Will either. Oh, no. I feel like you have to show them. No, I was talking to Mike about that. Like, oh. he, I told him, like, you know, I bet you can't get away with showing uh, Birth of a Nation or Triumph of the Will. He's like, yeah, because hmm. tastes have changed. And, you know, the idea of deplatforming something, just because Lenny, Rief Lenny Riefenstahl was an important filmmaker, like, she has reached a level of racism that yeah. is just not worth showing anymore. I, I don't know clear. if I entirely agree with this. I'm not going to be clear. I'm not sticking up for Birth of a yes. Nation or Triumph of the Will. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know if I entirely agree with the idea that some movies are absolutely forbidden because these are really important movies. But maybe in an introductory class, you don't have the context. That's fair. That's yeah. probably that's, what it is. That's probably valid. Yeah. Um, so the first Bollywood film I saw, we've, we've discussed on the show, it was Dilse. It was mm -hmm. also in a class with Jerry White. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a different class. It was a it was an it was a different intro class. There were at the U of A, the University of Alberta, when we were there, there were two different intro classes. This is the you, theory class. Yeah, you did have to take both. Jerry White, one of our old professors, was interested in Bollywood. I presume he still is, but he's not at the U of A anymore, uh, and he taught a class on popular Asian cinema, and I was never able to take it. Hmm. One of my biggest heartbreaks. That would have been good. <laughs> it would have been so good, but it was never offered. 
it never fit into my schedule when I had the prereqs. Anyways, like one of my biggest heartbreaks of all the classes I didn't get well, to take you in showed university, you, you, popular Asian cinema. You made a podcast. You made two podcasts. <laughs> you probably know more about popular Asian cinema than he does now. No, I'm, I'm sure that's not true. Uh, but I think, you know, he he saw a lot of value in, in Bollywood. And as do I. Yes, as do we. And so I think, you know, when we mention to people sometimes that we actually not only watched Indian films in university, but we watched Bollywood films mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to Satyajit Rai. Albeit before the imprimatur Bollywood was invented. Before the what? Before the word Bollywood was invented. Like Mother India is older than the word Bollywood. Oh, So yes, it would have just been true. called like Hindi cinema or probably Indian cinema. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dilse is not, though. Yeah, Dilse is post um, The other The other film I saw in university in a different class, an actual comparative literature class, uh, Dobika Zaman would also predate mm-hmm. the term Bollywood. But it is notable that I saw three Bollywood films without seeking out... Yeah, you didn't take a class on them. Yeah, I didn't take a class on post-colonialism. I didn't take a class on Indian culture. I didn't take a class on... Uh, Indian cinema, or even on musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they still came up. Uh, so that was our first exposure to Bollywood. So Mother India was the second film I saw. And I was really excited when I saw Dilse, but I had no I had no way of knowing how to see more Bollywood films or how to engage with it more. And this was before streaming. Yeah, so like you could this go, is before Netflix. Yeah, you could go to the movie studio and rent a few things, but they did not have a lot of Hindi films. Yeah. They had a lot of French movies. And even then, you know, is it going to have subtitles? Yeah. What's the picture quality going to be? So there was no way of entry. And I, you know, Lagan was the one that I had really wanted to see after I saw Dilse. Mm-hmm. And I just had no idea how to access it. In hindsight, I bet movie studio had a copy with English probably subtitles. Probably yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the next thing I saw was Mother India. And my interest in Bollywood kind of stopped in its tracks there. Mm-hmm. And that is not to say that Mother India is not an excellent film, because it is, and we are going to discuss it. But I think... Let's let's do a cliffhanger. I Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's do a cliffhanger. Yeah, so we're going to find out why this, turned, this almost turned Aaron off of uh, Bollywood after the interval song, which is Oh Janewala Jauna. From Mother India. It's the one where she's reaching in the ground, showing the dirt to the people as they're trying to leave after the flood and saying, like, you cannot leave. This is your land. We are married to this land. It's a very important song. Yeah. Anyway, we'll find out why Aaron hated it after this. episode is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, your source for curiosity-driven coverage of our city, Edmonton, cultivated by the community. Taproot publishes a weekly arts roundup, gathering up what's happening locally in theater, dance, the visual arts, the literary arts, and more. It's curated by Fonda Mithrush, a veteran of Edmonton art scene and co-host of I Don't Get It, a fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network. 
Subscribe to the Arts Roundup for free at taprootedmonton.ca. On episode 75 of the Well Endowed podcast, Drive Happiness, they join their producer, Lisa Pruden, on a transit misadventure and learn about how Drive Happiness Seniors Association has risen to the challenges presented by the COVID-19 pandemic to ensure seniors have safe transportation. For more information on the Well Endowed podcast and the Edmonton Community Foundation, check out thewelledoweddpodcast.com. Okay, so that was O Janawala Jana uh, from Mother India. So the details on Mother India came out in 1957, directed by Mehboob Khan, uh, whose political leanings are not mysterious whatsoever. <laughs> his logo for his company is literally a hammer and sickle. And Which they a- removed when they played it in the U.S. for the Academy. Yeah, I'm not surprised. In 1957, like that's <laughs> that's McCarthyism is happening. Yeah. <laughs> So they would have to think of another title. But I think... They also cut out 40 minutes of it. If you're a person who knows anything about Soviet cinema and politics, (laughs) you should be able to see where Mayboob is coming from. (laughs) So this movie stars... I will tell you, the other class, the non-film class, the comparative literature class that I watched a Bollywood film in was proletarian literature. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this kind of matches. Uh, So this features Nargis, Sunil Dutt, Rajendra Kumar, Raj Kumar... And Kanhayalal. This is based on another movie that Mebu Khan made called Orat from 1940. Which I think you see at this time because you have the same thing with Magaliazam. And you would have a similar thing in Hollywood. Well, think about... Um, Maltese Falcon. That's a remake. Yeah. And uh, the big one is uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock who remade quite a few of his silent movies into um, you mm-hmm. know, non-silent Cleopatra. Ones. Yeah. So it happens really often. Um, once you have a good story, you might as well adapt it to color, yeah, I just, to sound. I just point it out because I feel like people these days are very critical of remakes, mm-hmm. um, especially a director kind of remaking his own work. I'm not talking about him only with yeah. Love Ajkal, but I think there is, like, this has been happening since the classic yeah. Hollywood period and clearly not just in Hollywood. And some of these iconic films that we all remember happen to be kind of remakes of earlier films. Yeah. Uh, so the title of Mother India comes from an American author, actually, Catherine Mayo, who wrote a book which is kind of racist, actually. Do you know about this book? Uh, I've read a little bit about it, but it's like, like they're very backward people, that kind of thing. Yeah, 1927. polemic. So it's, mm-hmm. it's her kind of argument. I mean, she's clearly a white supremacist. It's her argument about kind of her anti- yeah. Indian manifesto. But so, they showed them. Yeah, so Mehboob Khan partly took the name to reclaim Indian femininity because she's very critical of like men, like Indian men's sexuality and kind of and the dismissiveness of Indian yeah. women, and and so this was a it was it was quite a well known book at the time, and you know. People were quite critical of it, including Mahatma Gandhi. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's interesting that this powerful title was kind of like a way of reclaiming the you know this this idea and also kind of to, to stick it to, yeah. <laughs> to this book. Mayboob to Mayo, get fucked. <laughs> oh, you're gonna have to bleep that. I know. Uh, so this is a post-independence nation-building film. So it's about 10 years, or it came out 10 years after independence, mm-hmm. but probably made a few years before that. It, it took probably, three years yeah. to make. So it was, you know, they were right in the thick of it. 
but this is very much indebted to Soviet constructivism, including Eisenstein and Pudovkin, whose film Mother, not with an exclamation <laughs> point, uh, is a big touchstone for this. I've never seen Mother. I've seen a lot of clips from Mother. A lot of wheat fields. I've seen I've seen a decent amount of Eisenstein, uh, which is probably I think two films. Mm -hmm. But that's enough. <laughs> Strike and Battleship Protected. Yeah, those are the exact two I've seen as well. Uh, so yeah, this took three years to make, as I mentioned. It was one of the most expensive Indian films ever made at the time. Uh, famously, as sort of referenced in Om Shanti Om, uh, Sunil Dutt saved Nargis during the fire scene, mm -hmm. which, watching it now, after knowing that, because I didn't know that when I watched it in university, but that is an extremely dangerous scene. Oh, really? You didn't know that when you saw it in university? Oh, they might have mentioned it. I, That's I, one of the details I distinctly remember about learning in school about this film. I drank a lot. I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> things. But, like, um, watching it now, like, I don't think they're stunt people. No, like, they're that's not. That's them running around. They're and not. I don't they even don't think have Nargis has shoes on. And she's running around, like, by giant fire yeah. flying all over the place. So it's super dangerous. And he, I mean, he sustained pretty serious burns that they had to kind of shut down production. And she nursed him back to health. It's nice. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's no reliable box office. did you say what happened? Stated. They got married. Yeah. yeah they I, fell I in love that. and got married. I said that. Um, Which, I mean, at the time, Mabub Khan was not for because his... Like his mother figure was marrying her son. Yeah, it's a little weird in retrospect. Uh, there isn't but really. She was in her like mid twenties. Yes. She was. She plays quite a range of ages. Yeah, she goes from about twenty to seventy. <laughs> uh, famously, there not famously, there is no reliable box office data for this movie's release, but it remained in theaters until the nineties. And and they say it's still playing. Probably. I mean, maybe not right now, but generally they say it's playing on it's a probably screen. Probably playing somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. At all times. Uh, and is comparable in both sort of box office take as well as grand overarching themes to Gone with the Wind. And the nation building aspect. Yeah. But yeah, adjusted for inflation, what they think the film made, it would still rank among one of the highest grossing Bollywood films. Yeah. yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Gone with the Wind is still adjusted for inflation, probably the most uh, watched movie ever. Yeah, but watch Mother Andy instead because yeah. not racist. Yeah, Gone with the Wind, I mean, I've seen it. I don't know if it's really worth it. I kind of like the book, but... I've actually never seen it. Yeah. It, I mean, I, re I read the book first, and then I watched the movie, and, you know, I'm happy I did, but it's not something I would go back to. Mm -hmm. um, so was, the movie was released around the world and was dubbed into several European languages, did well in the USSR, Soviet countries, Middle East, and Southeast Asia. It's the first Indian film submitted to the Academy Awards and the first uh, nominated... It lost to Fellini's Knights of Kiberia by one vote. Yeah, one vote. Mm -hmm. Can you... And they've never... They've only been nominated twice since mm -hmm. for Salon Bombay and Lagan. And... So close. I mean, how many times has Italy won? Yeah, Fellini probably would have picked up one for La Strada had it not been Knights of Kiberia. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how many Oscars Fellini won in the end, but, I mean, yeah. it lost... He definitely would have got a... Achievement award or something had he not got. I'm one. certain he won for something else. I didn't yeah. look this up, but uh, uh, yeah, lost. I'm sure didn't Amarcord get it? Whatever. Maybe. Uh, yeah, lost by one vote. That is crazy. It is. Um, Though again, like they didn't show the full three-hour cut with the hammer and sickle. They showed. Yeah. Cut out. 
Yeah, if it, you might have missed out on some nuance. Yeah. Uh, so this won two National Film Awards, including the All India Certificate of Merit and the Certificate of Merit for Second Best Feature Film in <laughs> Hindi. It's kind of weird. <laughs> weird names back then. It won five Filmfare Awards, including Best Film, Best Director, Best Actress. Well deserved. And it appears on many lists of the greatest films ever made, both lists of Indian films and those of all world cinema. Defined Hindi cinema for what followed. Yeah. It, so this is the sort of movie that can be on a list of the best ones of all time. And I feel like a lot of people would just let it sit there. But it is worth revisiting every 10 years like we have. Yeah, I, it's notable that it doesn't just show up on lists of the best Indian films or the best Bollywood films, but it shows up on lists of the best the best films in world cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has, you know, it has quite a long reach. Yeah. And I would say that of all the the Bollywood films that we've discussed on this show, I think this, Lagan, Shole, and maybe Megaliasm would be the ones that non-Bollywood fans, non Non-Indians, Indian, yeah. Yeah, non-South Asian people would be the most familiar with. Do you say that's probably fair? I would say it would be down to this in Mughaliyazam. I think Shole, unless you know an Indian person, in which case you probably do know about Shole, these two are the ones that come up in your history books. Yeah, but I do... Unless your history book... And Lagan got the nomination, so I think a lot of people watch because of that. Unless your history book has a focus on Bollywood movies, and then it will talk about the biggest one of all time, Shole. I think when Mark Cousins brought up Shole in his big history of world cinema project a lot of people a lot of like deep film cinephile film nerds like us noted it and wanted to seek it out so i couldn't find it anywhere i do think that that big doc had an impact on a certain kind of cinephile Mm -hmm. and that certain kind of cinephile is definitely a corner of the internet I hang out in. And yeah, that Mark, actually that Mark Cousins talk, we were going there every month to watch the new one. Every week. Every week. So yeah, there was probably other people doing that too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is probably the second or third most famous Indian movie of all time. Hindi film of all time. Yeah, probably even it, Indian movies of all time, honestly, outside of the subcontinent. Yeah, and it, it really did define... Hindi cinema uh, for years to come. And, Until the 70s. And, yeah, and to this day, you know, this kind of sets up the direction that the industry goes in mm-hmm. uh, in terms of genre conventions and... Moms. <laughs> yes, and themes and scope and kind of structure, that success structure. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, I think you can draw a line in the sand to a certain extent and say, you know, there was kind of Indian cinema or Hindi cinema before Mother India and then kind of everything after Mother India. You cannot downplay the impact of this film. And so you think that it would be easier to find and that there would be a higher quality transfer of it. Yeah, we thought that about Sholay. But let me tell you... Mughali Azam is the one that's been best promote, treated, and that also has that weird colorization, too. So I kind of liked the colorization. Yeah. This has Lata Mangeshkar songs, and I think that's what turned you off the first time. Well, I was just going to say, so we watched it on Eros Now. This time, yes. This time. And interestingly, I had made sure that it was on Eros Now, like, a couple months ago when we decided for our 100th episode, let's discuss Mother India. Mm-hmm. 
And then when we went to go watch it, we couldn't find it on Arrows Now. The I, typed, I literally typed in Mother. The interface on Arrows Now like totally let us down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still there, so just look around. Yeah, you could. I think if you look up Nargis, you might be able to find it there. Yeah, it was surprisingly... It was weird, yeah, but it's there, and subtitles are good. Mm-hmm. Image quality could be better. I don't know if this was shot Academy ratio. I kind of yeah. think it was. But the, it does look kind of zoomed in a little bit on the Eros Now version. Yeah. I feel like there's a bit more scope that we're missing. There's a rumor going around that there could be a Criterion Bollywood box set at some point. This would be a good one. And I think this would be in contention. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of them. Okay, so why didn't I really like the movie that much when I first Before saw we it? get to the plot, what was it exactly? Uh, it's, it's quite long, and I think there are parts of it that do really drag. And you're not as battle-hardened as you are now back then. Now you can watch a three-hour movie and, you know, have to take a break every now and then. But back then, three hours would have been a lot of time spent in a lab, right? Yeah. Because we would have had to go watch it in a lecture hall yeah and like i do i do like soviet constructivism uh and so that aspect of the film did appeal to me but i did find the songs kind of difficult and and i i think you know the the sound mix is not great on this print Mm -hmm. and so you know it's coming through with kind of like some feedback especially in the lecture hall that I saw it in if mm-hmm. I remember correctly and I think come it's kind of kind of some of the the high pitch that the women sing at mm-hmm. just really gave me a headache at the time well it's it's I, like classical Japanese or classical Chinese yeah. uh, songs like it you're you know it's an acquired taste for us who don't grow up with it yeah, I've since learned to appreciate this. And and interestingly, I was reading that at the time that the film came out, people didn't really like the music. Hmm. They loved the film, but like the music, there was some criticism of the music. And yeah, notably, I think there's maybe one or two too many songs. <laughs> and notably, uh, they use more kind of um, classical orchestral music. Like they use an orchestral score at times in this film, which wasn't uh, super common from mm-hmm. what I understand, from what I read in Bollywood at the time so that's kind of one thing that kind of set this film apart and added to its grandeur makes it kind of Hollywoody too speaking of the music yes there are it's interesting because there are aspects of this film that are so Soviet and then aspects that are very Hollywood and then obviously it's that's also very very Indian so it's interesting that Mebu Khan is kind of pulling from these two (laughs) these two countries and their film industries that are very Diametrically opposed. Very diametrically opposed. And kind of using the aspects of both of them that kind of are the best to really kind of put together and, 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 but it makes it truly Indian. It's like that Raj Kapoor song about how, you know, his various clothing parts are from Japan. They're from, you know, uh, England. They're from other places. But the heart, the, the dill, that is Hindustani. Yeah. So we were talking... And we both think this maybe isn't the best film to show people for their first No, it is not. It, in that sort of introduction to world cinema, I don't think it works. If it's a history class, maybe. Because it does follow nicely from Soviet. 
Mm-hmm. And then you start moving into different world cinemas across the world. But if it's if you're doing an introduction class, like a sample platter to get you a little bit of taste of every country that has a substantial film element to it, I don't know if this is the best one because it is unique. I you you said it 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 paved the way for a lot of movies to come after it, but I don't know if every movie really hits the same tone throughout. Mm-hmm. Like, it does have that kind of tonal whiplash between the first part and the second part that you get in a lot of Hindi films. I just, I think it's maybe too long and not entirely representative of what Bollywood would become. Mm. Sholay is. Mm-hmm. I would show Sholay if you can get a good version of it. Mm-hmm. Equally long, but also maybe more approachable for. Western film fans without a background in Soviet uh, constructivism? I guess it depends on what your goal is. I think if it's the introduction, like here's a good taste from each country, maybe not this one. If it's looking at how editing Mm -hmm. and different styles of filmmaking reverberated over the years, then sure, because it it matches nicely. Because I don't... You can't argue that this film is not an important piece of world cinema. It's very important. And one of the most important and iconic Indian films ever made. I just don't know if it's the most approachable for a hungover 19-year-old like (laughs) I was. And interestingly, this is kind of why I still still stand by Om Shanti Om as kind of being one of the best introductions. Well, Rob Gray, who was teaching this, and we've... We've uh, guest lectured for him mm-hmm. a couple times. He was teaching Mother India, and he said... No, he was teaching Lagan. He was teaching Lagan. Okay. He looked at Mother India, though. I remember that. Yeah. And he said, I need something that's a little bit shorter and maybe a bit more fun. Yeah, and that's one reason why I really like Om Shanti Om. And, and there are references to Mother India in Om Shanti Om. And maybe you don't get that the first time you watch it. Or maybe you have to explain that to a group of students if you're teaching it in an academic setting. But I think what I love about Om Chanti Om is that it teaches you how to watch Bollywood movies. Yes. <laughs> and I know, again, some people think I'm out to lunch because how do you appreciate it without a background in Bollywood to understand all the references? But It's the same way I appreciate all kinds of things without knowing everything about it. Yeah, I think about growing up and watching things like The Simpsons, which is chock full of references to things like Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what Citizen Kane was when I was a kid, but you better believe I thought that episode was amazing. And when you go back and find out, like, oh man, The Simpsons yeah. made me smarter. Then when I saw Citizen Kane, I was like, oh. Bobo. <laughs> you know, so I don't think you... You know, I think some things kind of stand on their own. We talked about the ideal reader theory in uh, our questions last time. Right. But yeah, like, no one is going to be the ideal watcher of a movie, especially if they're from another culture. That makes it a lot more difficult. But something that is able to kind of make you laugh while you watch it, Mm -hmm. that goes down a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I should probably say the plot of the movie. Yeah, explain the plot of the film. Nargis plays Radha, who is an archetypal Indian woman. <laughs> she gets married to uh, Shamu, played by Raj Kumar. And Shamu's family essentially mortgages their house and all of their belongings to a moneylender uh, named Sukilala, played by Kanhaya Lal. 
for 500 rupees mm -hmm. in order to pay the bride price for Nagas. And, you know, she finds that out a little bit later on, and um, Shamu is a little bit reticent to, like, take her bangles and things to sell. Like, she, he's like, no, we, we gave these to you. This is your part of our family. We're not going to waste your money. We'll figure out another way out of this hole. The but, bangles are very important. I yeah. know some of the some of the translations for this film when it played in other places around the world um, changed the title to like Golden Bangles. Yeah, but like they are stuck in a hole forever. Um, a school teacher later on explains to Nargis's son um, Birju, played by Sino Dutt, uh, explains to him how interest works. So he has, they have to give three quarters of their crop to the moneylender every year. And she uses little rocks to show like, okay, so you gave them your three quarters. It goes here. You have your quarter here, which is what you eat. And the principal does not get paid. And they can't eat less, so they can't pay off the principal. And, I mean, um, Shamu's mother just signed with a thumb like she couldn't read what was mm -hmm. being done so they are stuck in uh perpetual you know slavery essentially because yeah. there's no way out of their contract and um you know Sukilala can mess with them whenever he wants mm -hmm. uh so it, it's a hard life nargis has at least three children she might have four i might be misremembering this <laughs> but um there is a horrific flood that comes and washes away Everything. This is after her husband has abandoned them. After her husband has abandoned them because, <laughs> yeah, because a big rock crushes his hands. They're trying to pull it out of the ground so they can plow more. And it, it crushes his arms and he feels that he's useless. Mm -hmm. um, it's a kind of precursor to the Thakur in uh, Shole having his arms cut off. So the husband runs off in the middle of the night and leaves his wife and kids. Because he doesn't want to be a mouth to feed that they mm -hmm. can't do anything with. So, um, tragedy after tragedy is piled onto Nargis. Loses her husband. Loses a, a son in the flood. They have Her they, children are starving. Her children are starving. They have no food. Um, and when... The song that we played. When... After the flood, <clears throat> most of the people want to abandon this part of the world. They want to move to a city or another place. And she cajoles them. Like, look... This is us. We are this soil. The soil is your mother. The soil is your wife. You have to you have to stay here. And she convinces everyone to stay. She refuses to leave because she believes her husband might come, come back. back. Yeah. Because in her desperation, she finally agrees to give in to the moneylender. And she goes to him and she's willing to give herself to him. So sex. But she throws off her wedding necklace and in the kind of ensuing drama and scuffle, she finds it again and she thinks that that is a sign from the goddess, from Lakshmi. Yeah. That, because I believe that's, I believe it's the statue of Lakshmi, that her husband will return to her and so then the money lender still tries to attack her, but she gets away. Yeah, I guess I should have uh, mentioned earlier the uh, opening story of the movie is that the village is getting irrigation because of industry has come to the earth. Yeah. And they're like, isn't this great that we're getting irrigating our fields? And she thinks back like, you know, it wasn't always this easy. And then the second half of the film kind of jumps forward in time and her sons are grown up. It's largely about her relationship with Birju, played by Sunil Dutt. And Birju 
is kind of that character is a precursor for the angry young man that will kind of that Amitabh Bachchan will eventually totally embody. Yeah, Ramu, they're kind of like the grasshopper and the ant. Yeah, Ramu is the ant who works hard and you know tries to provide for his the family. Boring son. He's the boring son. <laughs> uh, and uh, Birju, arguably not even arguably much more annoying son, but like he's the one that kind of captures his mother's heart, even though her husband was a lot more like Ramu, but like he's the the cranky one, the one who, when he was a little kid, stole things for her or mm-hmm. made friends with a cow and, like, kind of made life bearable because he was thinking of things that weren't just, like, sustenance. Like, he, he had an imagination. He would get into scrapes. He had all kinds of stuff happening. And it's the squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know? He's the one that was getting into trouble all the time, and he's the one that the mother had to deal with all the time. So she kind of feels connected to him in a way. Um, but kind of things happen with Birju and the money lender, the money lender's daughter and essentially the whole t- the whole village turns against him and she has to decide if she's going to stick with the village or with her son. Okay, Matt, what is Western constructivism? <laughs> Western constructivism. Okay, so in this movie We've mentioned it a number of times and I feel like some people are listening and thinking I keep mentioning Russian constructivism. What is that? Okay, so <laughs> odds are that a lot of you listening to this podcast have seen this movie. There are a lot of scenes, the the big one being her pulling the plow kind of behind her. There's a lot of scenes where people are looking off in the distance and kind of standing behind each other, and it looks almost like a mural that you would see on the side of a building in Russia. Like it's that sort of... Actors being turned into archetypes mm-hmm. and big expanses of the screen are used for their face in super up close images. And editing is Eisenstein style, like super quick cuts to make you, you're not exactly understanding the situations, I think, but you're understanding the emotional intensity of the situation and the way that someone would just be freaking out if there was a flood, for instance, or if there was a big fire. That is kind of how this movie relates to Soviet constructivism. I'm not going to really go into it that much, but... Yeah, Soviet constructivism is more of a... Uh, it's more of a graphic design style. Yeah. And so I think, like, what we what we actually mean more is Soviet montage, which is what Eisenstein and Pudovkin and Ziga? Ziga. Ziga Vertov are known for. And so they're um, three Soviet filmmakers who... And, and there were others, of course. They invented editing. <laughs> yeah, they essentially invented uh, editing. They, they, there were some early ex- experiments with, uh, with film editing and how to kind of elicit emotion out of people using editing. This is called the Kuleshov effect. Yes. Where you could show a picture of a man and then show a picture of some food and inside your mind you think like, oh, the man's hungry. Or you see the man, and then you see a dead child in a coffin. Then you say, oh, the, the man is sad. But the actual expression on the man's face doesn't change. You can use other things around the man to make like an emotion kind of spontaneously happen. Because mm-hmm. your brain is used to making that connection for yourself and people you see every day long, every day. And it works for movies, too. It's actually magic. So these filmmakers kind of use these principles of editing to 
uh, create these these very rousing films mm-hmm. uh, about that, farming <laughs> that were meant to uh, kind of reach the new Soviet nation, the people in the new Soviet nation, and kind of get them on board with communism. And, so, and you don't need this theoretical background that we're showing because no. those movies were propaganda and. Mother India is propaganda. Yeah, and and I probably the most famous of them is Battleship Potemkin, a film that we've definitely talked about on this show before because it shows up in Tazab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, Eisenstein kind of uses these editing techniques, these these quick cuts where he shows one thing and then cross cuts that with something else to kind of show you the intensity of revolution and the importance of the proletariat rising up. I will say my favorite of all this kind of Soviet era is A Man with a Movie Camera, which is maybe kind of less politically charged. No, it's it's more fun. It's kind of yeah. a day in the life of a Russian city. Yeah, it's, it's a very fun film. But what Mother India does is it's using editing and shot composition to inspire you to do the best that you can for building your new nation of India. And I think those shot compositions is part of where we're, we're getting back to constructivism. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like I think one of the most famous um, constructivist images is kind of like a woman yelling. Yeah. And so you have... From the Franz Ferdinand album cover. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everyone knows that. And so you have these shots, these kind of low angle shots that look up at Nargis. And, Hero shots. Yeah, and have her in profile. Yeah. That really kind of, yes, show her as a symbol of India and as this hardworking, so self-sacrificing you know? woman. It's really important that the emotion that, the emotion that she's el- eliciting and that angle really drive home this kind of, this archetypal idea of her. as She's looking towards the future woman. as well. Yeah. And then also, yes, you see a lot of like people in fields and 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 the working, like people working. That's a very Vertov thing. Yeah. A lot and of there's working. a scene, a sort of song sequence, the one we played earlier, where people harvesting grains also form into a map of India viewed yeah. from really far away. But what's interesting is in these Soviet films, they're often about the collective. So they yes. don't really have kind of like characters in the same like they have characters but not kind of they don't elicit that individual aspect yeah whereas That's here the hollywood thing. this is the hollywood thing whereas here you have this one woman and this one woman who goes through like this punishing experience dare i say it's dw griffith era melodrama yeah <laughs> it like totally is and she's also a representative of the brand new country that is coming out of bondage to the uh to the United Kingdom. Yeah, there's aspects of just kind of how grueling and punishing this film is towards Nargis's character that reminds me of like the classic melodrama way down east. And so I think that like that melodrama aspect of it is so, so Hollywood. Yeah. And then also like the cute kid. And great kid. Great kid. Great kid. The young beard you great. Sunil Dutt. It's a bit whiny. Um, and also, this is where the comparison to Gone with the Wind comes from, because Scarlett O'Hara's life, right? you know, she's got the Civil War happen, plantation burns down, she famously says, I'll never go hungry again. And Nargis is more like, my kids will never go hungry again. I will, though. Yeah, and again, there's like that sweeping and epic scope of the film, which mm-hmm. comes through with both these kind of like, these 
overhead shots that show you all the workers in the field and also like also these like shots of the destruction but do you see what i mean though that there's a theoretical underpinning behind this movie that if yes. you're a first year film student you're probably not going to appreciate i don't know are you socialist first year film students well if, <laughs> like i was well i mean <laughs> you would have seen the russian movies earlier on in that class but right. like it's using hollywood imagery it's using soviet imagery it's about india a country i didn't know that much about when i was in university and only learned about later doing this so like i wouldn't have understood the significance of 1947 1957 like these dates i wasn't clear on yet I think it depends, again, it depends on what your goal is. It depends on what your aim is. And, yes, introduction and, to world cinema. Yeah. Not introduction to cinema history. Right. Yeah. So I saw it in the class that's introduction to world cinema. And I don't think it's a good introduction to Indian Which is cinema. also a history survey course, though. It is. I don't think it should be. Okay. I also... <laughs> I feel like we've spoken way too much about our university experience in that episode, but that also, I think... This is the context with which we saw the film initially and with which we look at it now. Yeah, so this time when I saw it now... Right, what did you think of it Knowing more about Hindi cinema, I thought the first half was great. And then I think there's too much of Birju dicking around with various village girls. Although he does get, you know... It's, he, he, get, you he, know he gets he gets uh, he gets his later. He gets, I've really forgotten that this is like quite the ending. Yeah, like I it's, I think there's maybe really... ten fifteen minutes of Birju. You do like him going essentially going dark side. <laughs> you you get that, and I I think there's maybe just too much cutesy poo stuff with him, and then also his brother. Uh, but then the ending ramps up, and you're like hell yeah, like this is. Like nation building cinema again, mm -hmm. but the first half I think is strong. I agree. I think the first half is much stronger. also because mostly about Nargis. When it's about her sons, don't care as much. And I mean, we should say like she's fantastic here. She's playing yes. Rada at uh, various ages, but it's just like I I can't imagine how grueling this was to make mm -hmm. for her because she plowed all those damn fields. Oh, and the pain on her face. Yeah. You know, and and again, I think that kind of that use of like a really emotional close up like that again feels very Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, but it also feels Soviet too. It does, yeah. It's just like it's a, this is such an interesting film in the way that like, and it's so Indian. <laughs> it's the fact that we know about her and so we know Hollywood. her life. That's the Hollywood stuff. The big images, the are melodrama. Soviet. Yeah, yeah. And then you know the Indian part. I wouldn't have got when I was in university as well because I don't know anything about Indian mythology. But there are, you know, tales of brothers fighting each I other. I studied the Ramayana. Yeah, I I read about it later. <laughs> but tales of brothers falling into battle against each other and a woman waiting for her long lost husband. I mean, that is pretty important Indian mythology stuff that I wouldn't have got back then. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. I think it's a good film, and I. Really appreciate rewatching it. I don't know if I'm going to watch it again for the next five years or so. I just don't know if I. I think I appreciate. See, this is one where I do think I appreciate more. Yeah, of, I got more out of it this time. Yeah, knowing more about about Bollywood, mm -hmm. kind of, and and I kind of I can kind of see 
you know, how this film has had such a lasting impact. And you are more comfortable with the Lata Mangeshkar style super high voice? I think I'm also just more comfortable with the way in which Bollywood incorporates its musical sequences, yeah. which is different and jarring compared to Hollywood musicals. Yeah, which was your only... The only thing you knew about musicals back then. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. So, I don't know. Do we have anything else to say about this? I mean, it's like talking about how good a mountain is, right? <laughs> like, it's it's there. It's huge. Everyone likes it. But I don't know if everyone is going to run out and watch it again. But You don't know if everyone's going to climb it. Yeah. I Maybe you should. You lost the metaphor there, Yeah, I know. Matt. I know. Uh, you know, if it's been a while since you watched it, just go on Arrows now. It's, it's, Arrows it's now. just not a great program, and it's not a great... Um, version of the movie. I think I saw nicer ones on YouTube, but they didn't have subtitles. So if you speak Hindi, go watch it there. It is one of those Indian classics that is dying for a restoration. Yeah. It makes me mad that, you know, for a culture that is actually more interested in movies than ours is, they've let some of them just go into disrepair. Mm-hmm. Well, because, yeah. There isn't really the studio system that can kind of keep that stuff, right? Oh, I don't know, maybe like the cult of the... I, I Obviously, they let celluloid and movies go into disrepair in, in the U.S. as well, but, you know, I don't know, maybe there's just not... Maybe because of home video um, being a more kind of established thing in Western culture uh, for a variety of reasons that we won't get into, uh, I wonder if, yeah, there just hasn't been a need or a desire to try and restore these movies and it's still being shown in theaters so yeah presumably on celluloid yeah. if, if you have seen mother india in theaters I, w- I would love to hear about it yeah be curious to see how it works that way um yeah. uh this I, I always get really nervous when we discuss films that are kind of this big and this important i was nervous about our magali azam episode i was nervous about talking about Shole. Uh, maybe less nervous about Lagan because it's a bit more contemporary. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is... Take everything we say with a grain of salt. This is just our perspective and the the lens, you know, the context with which we understand the film and we see it. But by no means are we trying to say that this is the definitive I take mean, on it's... Mother India. Uh, and, you know, maybe when we see it again five or ten years from now... We'll see things differently. As your big classics or world cinema goes, like, I don't think it's as fun as French New Wave. That's fun and exciting. But it's also not, like, Triumph of the Will. It's not Birth of a Nature as much as we mentioned those movies. Like, yeah. It's it's an enjoyable watch. Like, it's a, it's a good story and it's well shot and well acted. Like, it's not just important because it's old. No. It has a magic to it. There's a majesty as well. It's, Nargis is very good. Nargis is very this good. This is an incredible performance. Like, it's a classic of world cinema. You can you can actually watch and appreciate without just thinking you're just eating your vegetables. Like, mm-hmm. if you like this sort of movie already, you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not my favorite, but I, I do appreciate it. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode, Matt. Mm, we did it. We 100th. did it. 100th episode. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do next time? It's a good question. What are we doing next time? <laughs> uh, we're going to be looking at three films from filmmakers that we've discussed before on this podcast, but we've never discussed their first film. 
The were, rookie movies. Yeah. So, and those three filmmakers are MTS Ali, Sri Ram Raghavan, and uh, Dipakar Banerjee, who we just discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be out in two weeks. In the meantime, Matt, how can people keep up with the show? Facebook.com slash Bollywoodist Followers. At Bollywood Pod. I'm at Matt underscore B-O-W-E-S. You're at Aaron E. Fraser. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and ask us a question. We'll answer it. We'll do anything for a good review. Um, what else? Tumblr.com slash Bollywood for Lovers if you want the exciting full show notes. Well, if you're a fan of the show, uh, check out my other show that I do weekly with Paul Matwichuk that we talked about at the top of this show. You watched oh. another cinematic masterpiece for your last episode. Did we? Yeah, it's called The Great Mouse Detective. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, it's called Trash Art in the Movies. Uh, we also want to give a shout out to Becca Dalkey for our artwork. It continues to be the best boy and I think, you know, the best podcast logo, let's be perfectly honest. There should have been a whole movie about Tuffy. There really should. Uh, maybe someone will make an animated one. Yeah. Maybe he'll. Maybe it'll be The Great Tuffy Detective. That'd be great. Or like he has to solve a mystery. I don't know. I I always default to solve a mystery, but he has to solve a mystery on the cat on the set of the movie. Like, that'd be fun. Uh, yeah. It's like Airbud, but for being in a movie. We've done this a hundred over a hundred times really at this point. Yeah, we didn't talk about Tuffy every time, but we did a lot of the time. Thanks, guys. I'm Bye. done. <laughs>